Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Yes, I'm back from vacation, and Ton has just been having a great time with Tim. You guys have been all over the place. Yeah, we've one end of the valley to the other. Up in Layton, and then down to Santa Quinn. I think those are. We've done a few remotes up in Roy, but Leighton, the last four or five years, is the most distant. And then surprised me living in Santa Quinn. I had a, have to travel about far, a five-minute commute. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah, people don't realize how far you travel every Saturday to come downtown and do the show with us. Well, and it's better to be in studio just because I think it makes for a better show. But when you have four kids at home, all you need is... The youngest running, youngest one running in, saying, "Daddy, she dumped cereal all over me." And <laughs> well, you're on the air, so it's just better to come in. Anyway, it's good to yes. be back, Ton. Thanks for welcome. Down Did you have fort. a good vacation? Yes, a very mentally relaxing vacation. I did not uh, key into KSL at all until I saw you guys out at the Hidden Garden tour last week, and then I was like, "Now I'm mad." What they did a Hidden Garden tour without me? Yeah, and it's okay. I forgive you all. We appreciate Brian booking that. He wonderful. went all out at the Santa Quinn locations of Olson's greenhouse as we hit their research garden. They have a contract with Home Depot, I think one of three places in the U.S. that trials plants three and four years ahead of them hitting the market to see how they do. And Brian said, it was like, well, you know, these plants make it to our trial garden. And he says, very few of them make it through this three or four year process to market. And so so it was just, yeah. And so people got to vote on what their favorite plants were. And it was just a fun, fascinating aspect that you don't usually see. And then Olson's has never open that research garden up to the public. So it was a good remote. It's awesome. I'm going to have to take a rain check on that and make Brian let me come out at some point. I'm sure he would. He's invited me down a couple times. So I know he would. This morning, the plant of the week is the Oriental Poppy, and we're just going to spend just a few minutes because we have people already on the lines waiting to ask their questions. Oriental Poppy is one of my favorites, just such pretty colors, pretty pastel colors, and a lot different from the California poppy. They are. They're related. But the oriental poppy obviously is an Asian native species. But it's people sometimes confuse it with opium poppy, which it absolutely isn't. But uh, oriental poppy is one of those that it blooms in mid-spring for about four to maybe five weeks. And it grows in areas that 
a lot of other perennials may not. Once it's established and you leave it to its own devices, it may only need to be watered every couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when the flowers are not on there, it's a little bit nondescript. But in mid to late spring, when they're blooming, they're just one of the most spectacular perennials out there. Right, because they have those pastel colors and pinks and apricots and just very, very different from your solid red, reddish orange California Yes, coffee. you know, and the, the species itself is a red color, but as you mentioned, there's a lot of different colors out there. And what I have never covered Oriental Poppy as a plant of the week on the program. I mean, it's out there and I've just always just left it But I had to go up to an area in Alpine a couple of weeks ago where somebody over 100 years ago planted some oriental poppy seed and it has slowly spread to about two acres. Wow. And it is on the foothills where they might get 18, average 18 or 19 inches of moisture a year. So a little bit more than the valley floor. And these things are doing absolutely fine. And there's another spot up in Manaway that's very similar. Someone many, many years ago spread seed. And so you can go in, I think, into some aspens and sagebrush. And there's in the spring, there's these oriental poppies that are just all over the place. And so, you know, if they'll survive our foothills, then it just kind of speaks to the adaptability of the species. Yeah, one of the reasons you probably never addressed it is you pretty much have to plant these by seed. You do. I mean, occasionally you'll find them in in your garden centers, but not very often, and and it's usually really early in the season. Yeah, when I worked in industry, they would be available for a couple of months, and you would have all these colors, and it would be when they were in bloom. And then they became far less available after that, But where you do seed them and where you see them in the landscape, they seem to do quite well. And unlike other poppies, they're quite long-lived. It's very easy to get five to ten years out of a poppy plant, an oriental poppy plant. Full sun and kind of water-wise. Yeah, they're they're kind of – they are water-wise, full sun. If – you want to put them on an east exposure where they're getting six or seven hours of sunlight a day. That would be okay, but I wouldn't do anywhere else like a north exposure. And so with some dappled shade, they still do fine, but they still do produce full or they want full sun. Okay. They don't need fertilizer or anything like that? No. No. Right. Just watered every, once established, watered every few weeks and they're happy. I notice it says do not overwater this yeah. plant. Well, if they're surviving our foothills... And that sagebrush country, you know that they are quite drought hardy. All right. And you can find a complete article on the Oriental Poppy on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. We're going to take a break. Come back with your calls and questions. Leanne is up first, then John. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. 
Good morning, and thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you, taking your calls, 801-575-8255. Your text questions at 57500. Leanne is on the line from Hooper. Good morning, Leanne. What is your question this morning? Okay, I have two questions. Um, I'll preface my questions with I'm 75 years old, and I have been gardening my whole life, so I have encountered lots of problems and I listened to you and have got lots of solutions but I have a problem this year with my pots I planted them um, and I planted the kind not the same varieties I use the same potting soil not the same but the same brand of potting soil when I plant my pots I use uh, the uh, osmocote in them uh, I planted them a couple of weeks before Mother's Day and um, in them, I have a couple of varieties of petunias, jazzberry, and bubblegum, bubble gum, which is usually bulletproof. And um, it, they grew for, a, for about three weeks, and then all of a sudden, they just stopped growing. They, they didn't die, the plants in them. Uh, I, I, uh, and then they, they will come out with little... Um, they, they keep trying to flower. They're all yellow. They haven't grown since for probably a month, month and a half. Uh, I have a, I have a, not a drip, but a, a spigot watering system with the little uh, uh, hoses that go into it that's automatic. I don't overwater them. I water them like every three days, but when it's rained, I turn that off. So it isn't that but they're most of them are bright yellow, and uh, the the flowers on the petunias they 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 send up like a blossom, but it never opens. It's just this tight little bud that never opens. So I put a um, uh, a general insecticide. I thought, well, maybe there's some. I've looked. I can't see any any bugs, nothing flying. Um, I put some uh, some seven some uh, seven on them uh, in a powder form, and it hasn't made any difference. So let me let, let's. I'm going to have you slow down for just a second. I'm sorry. Um, That's fine. I, I have some questions for you. So Thanks. first, I've noticed on my planters, I on my front porch planter on the west exposure, I haven't watered it in a week because of the cool weather. And so I've noticed, though, that a lot of my annuals that I've planted are generally yellowing out or turning red, which I think is a combination of all the rain. I know your planters probably didn't get it, but rain and cool weather. And so I'm curious what will happen when the weather turns hot like it will this coming week if a lot of the plants will start snapping out of this kind of just anemic state. So that's one possibility if they're all yellow that that's usually an indication of a nutrient deficiency over watering or maybe cool weather. Okay. So uh, now on your flowers, Yep. The flowers themselves, have you, I'm just going to have you do an internet search of tobacco budworm. I know what that is. Okay. I've, that would I know be what something that, is. I have, 
that would cause I've had the, it in the past. Yeah. It, it isn't that. Okay. Um, I know exactly what to look for because I have a spray for that when they start. So, but this is like it's an internal something about this, the plants. They're just not. They're they're just not opening. They form. They're trying to form the flower, but they don't open. They're, nothing's eating them. Like like I would expect to see. And and then. And then one of them, I mean, a couple of them, I have a, a bee's knees in another pot in a completely different part of the the yard that's done the same thing. And uh, it, it gets just these little uh, tight, tight flowers on them, but never opens. Okay. So this is what I'm going to have you do. I On our Facebook Messenger, we didn't find any pictures on there. I just checked it. And so what I'll have you do is in on Tuesday, because USU extension offices are closed for Juneteenth, but on Tuesday, you might be able to email some pictures over to the Weber County extension office. Okay. Uh, Helen Muntz is your horticulturist. And I, I think what's going on is probably environmental because if it were tobacco budworm, it would start in one and spread, and it wouldn't be equal in all. So the other thing you could do, um, the extension office is out at the fairgrounds. Yeah, I know where. And yeah. find out when they're doing their diagnostic clinic, and then you might be able to haul an example pot in if it's not too heavy and just let Helen or the master gardeners take a look. Yeah, okay. All right. I can do. I can okay. try that. Okay, that would be the easiest way to have them looked at in person, so. Okay, thank you. All right, Leanne, thanks for your call this morning. John is on the line in Sandy, and good morning, John. What was your question this morning? Good morning. I really enjoy your program. Thank you. Um, I have about 12 arbovitas, about 10 feet apart along my south fence line, a chain-link fence. My neighbor on the other side of the fence has full-grown maple trees, so these guys are in the shade most of the time. Uh, they do. They are exposed to sprinkler water, and some of them, about four or five over the last three years or so, have turned brown from the top, and the brown has gone down. And some of a couple of them have turned brown from the bottom, and the brown goes up. Um, and I've taken them out. I was just wondering if you had any suggestions or pointers. This is something that. As a horticulturist, I've noticed over the last 25 years that you will get this in Arborvita and USU pathologists and entomologists. I know of two different pathologists and an entomologist that have looked at this, and we can't find anything definitive as far as a disease that might cause it. And Hmm. it seems to spread, though, because you will go to a home and none of the arborvitae will have it, but then you go a mile down the road and see yeah. four or five of them out of, like, you have 10 or 12, and it seems to slowly spread from one to the other. And so I think that there's probably an unidentified disease uh, that is causing it. And once it's in okay. there, all you can try doing is pruning it out and maybe putting some fertilizer down, and it has to be done in the spring because they only shoot new growth once a year. But fertilize them in the spring and see if you can help them grow past it. But that's about the best I can do because it's just one of those we have – 
on different occasions tried to do fairly thorough investigations. And a few years ago, we thought we had it pinned down. And then our pathologist said, I couldn't isolate that particular pathogen. So you see this in Arborvita and it could be fungal root rots, you know, to a number of different things. But I, I wish I could be more helpful on this one. Yes. So it, it's not because of the exposure to the sprinklers or anything. Well, you would see where the sprinklers are hitting it. Now, are they just pop up that have more of a gentle spray or are they gear driven impact? They're the rotators. And the so rotators. you would see a line through the Arborvita where that high pressure okay. spray was hitting the Arborvita. Yes. yes. Okay. And, or you would see the side of the trees that were hit by the sprinklers all the time declining and the other sides would be healthy. Okay. All right. Great. So, Okay, well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Appreciate All right, it. John. Thanks for your have call this day, morning. Guys. You too. Uh, next listener, Tom, this is a texter. They have two maples in different areas of their yard. Both have yellow leaves on the north side of the tree, green on the other sides, and they're wondering what you think about that. So what's going on with them? So they're maple trees in a couple of different parts of their yard, uh, but on one side of the tree, on the north sides of both the trees, they're yellow. The rest of the tree looks good. I would look at irrigation to see if the north sides of the trees were being irrigated more than the south sides because that could be causing some iron chlorosis. And so I would really investigate that. Now, it is known for maples. You'll see a lot of them where a third of the tree is healthy and another third isn't and another third is just okay. Maples are pretty notorious for root sections that aren't getting enough iron and yet another section is. But if it's both north sides of the tree, I would really look at the irrigation first. All right. We need to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we'll take more of your calls and questions. Wendy, Jim, Marilyn, you're up next. A number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Text us, 57500. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.